Hello and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and guys, I have a treat for you. I am sitting here in a house with a special guest, my brother, Stephen Klein. He's here with me today to talk about some movies that we've been seeing recently. And so I'm going to give the floor to him to introduce himself and let us know why we should be listening to him in the first place. Hey guys, uh, this is Stephen Alex is probably going to call me Stevie. It's a long, lifelong habit. I've only known him my whole life. Uh, I'm here to talk about the movie side of stuff. I do listen to the movie episodes of the podcast when I can. I know next to nothing about comics. Obviously, I'm familiar with all the characters and all that, but um, here for the movie expertise. I uh, would like to say that I'm a bigger movie buff than Alex. I know he'd take offense to that, but we'll, uh, we'll let the viewers decide. Well, sure, and I want to point out a couple of quick things, just I guess a point of point of clarification here. Stevie does have more IMDb ratings than me. He's surpassed me by at least 500, but... Well, as we I, all know, numbers don't lie. Numbers so. don't lie, but at the same time, you also rated every single Tom and Jerry episode. That's true. And that, I think, is a problem. But no, I guys, if, if, uh, if there's ever a contest of who's a bigger cinephile, obviously I would say me, but at the <laughs> end of the day, Stevie is a... He's a movie whiz. He actually is the one who got me to do imdb in the first place and so now every day when i get into work i have a link where i check out and see what he's watching from behind the scenes he doesn't know it well, i think but... i have the same link for you oh okay well it's so a, see that dueling, we're dueling Exa- fates. exactly so uh so yeah so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about uh some movies and i do want to point out too stevie stevie knows next to nothing about comic books but he does know that the best comic book movies in the business are the are the Marvel movies. I know you guys have heard me say on multiple episodes how excited I am to start this uh, podcasting journey with him to get him on a guest episode about us talking about Marvel movies. <laughs> this is not that episode. So uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge and maybe burn that bridge when we get there. Yeah, we'll see, guys. I just want to let you know you're going to be in for a treat on that episode because if there's any, if you ever believed in the words fair and balanced, that is going to be the issue because i will say nothing but praise for the marvel studio and uh stevie has nothing but uh what would be the word disgust i i wouldn't go so far as to say i'm gonna give a fair appraisal of them as films well that's enough okay so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna move into these movies so guys this is a i was trying to decide if this was going to be the monthly criterion special episode but i'm realizing i think designating one episode to talk about just one movie uh, like a Criterion movie. I know. I don't know how many of you guys are fans of those movies, and I've been talking about a few already, uh, and they haven't been their own episode. So what I'm going to start off with, so you guys can get a taste of what you're dealing with here, what I'm going to probably be dealing with with my brother, is uh, I spoke about Rosemary's Baby last week, and uh, that was a movie that him and I watched, and that movie has a special place in his heart. So I'm going to let him kind of give you a quick review his thoughts on the movie why for why it's in his top 10 movies of all time and uh, and then we'll get started on some movies we saw yeah so recently i reorganized my top 10 and had to throw that in there it's the only horror movie in the top 10 at this point and i think it more than earns the spot i think i do think it's the best horror movie in this fact that it's uh it's so suspenseful and it's so terrifying and everything that Everything that's in that movie builds in such a such a suspenseful way. 
you know, we're lulled into false sense of security throughout. There's a lot of just heavy, heavy themes explored with, you know, the way that Rosemary is kind of gaslit throughout the process. You have this whole stuff with, you know, the vulnerability of pregnancy and you got the nosy neighbors. Just, you know, it's a lot of commonplace themes that are transformed into a really great sense of horror. And I also am a huge fan of that era of horror. I don't know if Alex has talked about uh, Night Gallery at all. That's one of our favorite shows. It's an old horror show that ran from about 68 to 72. And Rosemary's Baby is 1968. So to me, it feels like a like a great Night Gallery episode in movie length. And yeah, I, to me, there's no flaws in that film. I mean, perhaps the only flaw is that it was directed by Roman Polanski. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's all. It also makes that more interesting watch too, because the film does deal with uh, the topic of rape a little bit. So that adds to the complexity for me, and it doesn't take away from it. I know that that can deter people, but yeah, I really do think it's a great piece of work. I had commented when I I did my review on it that it was it was sort of a pre Me Too movement type movie, sure. where the entire movie, like you said, is is about them gaslighting the main character. Now, when I had explained it too, I had completely forgot. What happens to her at the end of the movie? So at the end of the movie, you know, she she stops taking the pills that they're forcing her to take as sort of sedatives. She has the baby. They tell her the baby died. But she hears it crying through the walls. So she, you know, eventually sort of escapes her bed. She sneaks through a hole in the wall that goes to the neighbor's apartment where she finds that everyone's having sort of a cocktail party around her baby in like this black satanic crib. She sneaks up to it with a knife. They all notice her, of course, but they can't really stop her. And she hits him with the classic, what have you done to its eyes line. And we don't don't get to see the baby, uh, which I think is a good thing because it leaves it to the imagination. But, of course, everyone sort of breaks out into the Hail Satan chants and all that stuff. And it's, it's... Funny how that they take it from that moment sort of back to human moments where that one lady sort of sticks her tongue at her in this sort of right, goofy right. scene. And then, of course, it ends with her saying, you know, you're rocking it too fast. Let me take care of it. You know, and that's sort of what seems to be her maternal instincts kicking in. Maybe she's recognizing, you know, even though this is the spawn of Satan, it's also my son. <laughs> but, my spawn. Um, I don't know. It's, it's sort of ambiguous in the ending there. And I think that that sort of semi-lighthearted, semi-ridiculous ending is also what ties it into Night Gallery for me, because that show uh, can be a bit light sometimes, too. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the movie is terrifying all the way through. So I think it's a, I think it's a great ending. Great. Well, you didn't answer my question at all. What I'm, what I was, you asked what happened to what I'm trying What I was trying to ask is, at the very end, so she's, she's like rocking it, and I think they said something like, you take care of your baby, or take care, you want to take care of your baby. What what is the end of, like the literal end of the movie? Does she go crazy? Does she? What do you mean? I just is the ending just her rocking the baby? Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I then I I told it right. I just I seen <laughs> no, I, I thought scene. I thought she descended into madness at some no, point. No, no, no. But the whole movie is her descent. Yeah, into the whole madness. movie is a descent into madness. That's why I think the end is so stark because it's almost a moment of clarity where she's like, "There's nothing I can do at this point," and it almost seems like maybe that is a sign of her descending into madness that she. Well, she finally she finally cracked at that point and, right. and she's now just lost it and says she wants to to be the you know the mother of Satan's baby right
but yeah, no. So and and I, Stevie, you gave the movie a ten. I'm right, and you said that's of course. What is it within your top ten? Uh, uh hard to rank those. Oh, okay. really? But I would put it in probably. I mean, it's probably in the bottom five of the top ten, but okay, still great. That's still great. Yeah. So, uh, guys, uh, and then as we dive into this, so there's gonna be there's gonna be a couple movies that we're gonna talk about. Stevie knows what they are. One of them he doesn't know, and it's gonna be a mid a midway show surprise. So I'm gonna hang oh, on to crap. that one. Uh, but the first movie that we're gonna talk about, we actually watched uh, a couple nights ago, which was The Night of the Hunter, and that's what kind of spurred this on was. I had thought it was the end of September, and I hadn't put out a Criterion episode. And I thought, well, what, what's better than a Criterion episode? Getting my Criterion brother on and uh, having him talk about it. So, uh, this movie, Night of the Hunter, is a uh, it's a film. It's an older film. It's from 1955. It's black and white, and it's only an hour and 32 minutes. So it's a quick one. If if it's something, if you're looking for a really great movie to watch. Uh, in a short amount of time, this is this is a great movie, and I, I don't remember if you did, but I watched the this movie in film sc- in film school oh. in the one class <laughs> I took at business yeah, school. No, I did not. Um, so it's directed by Charles Lawton, who, if you guys know, he was in uh, a couple of really great movies. Well, he's in a lot of great movies, but he was in Spartacus, Mutiny on the Bounty, Witness for the Prosecution. Very famous uh, British actor. This was the only movie that he directed ever in his entire life. And then same with the screenplay, which was by uh, James Aggie, who's also the only screenplay that he did. So it was kind of a, a one-hit wonder in, in a sort of sense. But it stars Robert Meacham as Harry Powell. Mitchum, I think. Mitchum? Meacham, yeah. Meacham. Robert Meacham, Shelley Winters, uh, Lillian Gish, James Gleason. Oh, that's Uncle Bertie. And then Evelyn Varden. And she plays Icy Spoon, which I think is probably appropriate for her. She was horrible. I hated her. But um, so the the whole point of this movie, and it's actually it's a really good film study type movie. It's a movie about a uh, it's kind of it's it's about a couple different things, but it's about two kids whose father uh, is taken to prison and later dies. Uh, they he leaves them with ten thousand dollars that he stole and has them keep it in secret and not tell anybody about it, not even their mom. And that's one part of the story is them kind of struggling throughout the movie to keep that secret. And then the second part, which is the more kind of twisted part, is Robert Mitchum's character is a pastor, a quote-unquote pastor. He was in prison with the kid's father and heard about the $10,000, and he was already kind of a swindler, devil-type guy. And so now his mission is to weasel his way into these kids' lives by uh, marrying their mother so that he can find out where the money is. And the entire movie just kind of deravels, unravels at that point uh, as they, you know, they're slowly getting closer and closer to telling him because they're getting more and more scared of him as they go on. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah, I think think it's a really cool tale of really just good versus evil in the purest sense where you have... You know, kids representing a force of good, and the the pastor is evil, which I think is a great symbol to have it as a pastor. You know, obviously you wouldn't expect him to be the bad guy. Um, and of course, it ties into he's got this love and hate tattooed on his knuckles, where he tells the story about love conquering hate. Would you like me to tell you a little story of right hand, left hand, the story <laughs> of good and evil? H A T E. It was with this hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see these fingers, dear hearts? These fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends. The hand of love. 
That's a quote just from Rotten Tomatoes, but that's essentially how he explains it and tried to mimic it as best as I can. But he's very, he's very dramatic when he talks because he's not only is he trying to portray that preacher, but at the same time, he's, he's trying to essentially throw people off the scent that he is this evil man. So he really goes all out when he explains stuff. And, uh, it's not even that hard when you're a pastor, right? Well, no, yeah, everyone kind of bypasses you at that point. Like, oh, he's and and you see it in the movie. That lady, Icy Spoon, she's this old woman who works at the, like the malt shop, and she just is obsessed with him to the point where she's actually the person that pushes uh, the mother to like see him and be with him. And we all know what's coming, but she had the mom has no idea because at this point she's kind of distraught by her. Her husband having died and the fact that she's all alone. And what's interesting too, I thought, in it is there's this really, um, it's almost kind of sad showing of she is, she's not necessarily a sexual person, but there's this scene where they, on their wedding night, she's she's going into the bedroom to, you know, do the deed and he scolds her for trying to. And she doesn't even really try anything. Like I think it gets to the point where she just puts her hand on him and he's like, get off me, woman, and then starts going into this tirade, about, uh, like this this biblical tirade about how, like, oh, are you wanting to have kids? Well, if you're not wanting to have kids, then we should not be doing this. And obviously the reason is because he doesn't really love her and he all he wants is the money. So, um, in, in, and again, as we go into this stuff, these are old movies, so spoilers do not count, but eventually he kills the, the mom and uh, does so because... Uh, that's just basically one more obstacle that he had to face in, in trying to get the kids to tell where the money is. And surprisingly, too, the more that I watch this movie, the kids are actually really good actors. Yeah. And I kind of, you, they're kind of off putting at first, but you have to remember that this movie is from the 50s. And then when you realize that it's from the 50s, you're like, well, they're actually really good. There's a, there's a really good scene where when the father at the beginning of the movie is getting arrested by the police officers. And uh, the son's watching his dad get arrested, falls to his knees, and he's kind of feeling what his dad is feeling. Like he, the his dad gets like punched in the chest, and he grips his own chest, and then he's like, "No, no, please stop!" And and it's like this. It's sort of a weird scene the way it plays, but the reason they do it is towards the very end of the movie when the uh, police inevitably get the bad guy, get the the pastor. He does the exact same thing to the pastor because at this point he's getting flashbacks of his dad. So it was a really well done uh, scene. And, and there's so many bits and pieces of it in, in this movie. And that's why I think it gets studied in uh, film classes. There's The other one that really sticks out to me is when the, the boy is explaining to his sister that uh, you know things are about to start looking up. That you know we're there's going to be some good coming. And then he says he says the word bad, and it's at night. And right when he says that, the kid's standing up in front of his sister's bed. The shadow of the preacher comes up, like is is cast over him on the wall because the preacher is now standing outside. And it just it was it's the perfect kind of setup of yup he's the bad guy like they do a lot of really good symbolism in this movie yeah a lot of great staging and shot <clears throat> composition and to me there's a lot of um, really impressive aerial shots especially yeah. for it being a 1950s movie it's kind of surprising do we ever figure out how they did that I have no idea and it's even more surprising since that's Charles Lawton's first directorial film first and only but I guess they kind of. I don't know. In a way, it makes sense because it's so different from anything else you'd see at that time that this is his only movie. Uh, 
the only other thing I wanted to add that I think is kind of cool is that the whole love-hate thing tattooed on his fingers is um, pretty much directly referenced or replicated in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Correct. With, um, I think his name is Radio Rahim. Mm-hmm. He's got um, sort of like brass knuckles that say love and hate. And I think he tells his own version of that same story. He does, and that's funny because that was one of the other films in the film class that we watched, and our teacher had specifically pointed that out, that the, the I guess it was sort of his callback for it. But um, Night of the Hunter is a phenomenal movie. I give that movie a 9 out of 10, and it's sitting, <clears throat> it's sitting at a 99 Metacritic score with an 8.0 with 76,000 reviews. Uh, and like I said, take your reviews with a grain of salt, but clearly people are liking this movie. And also, if you're in the area, it's playing at Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, what is this? On next Tuesday. That's kind of cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. So that's Night of the Hunter. Any final thoughts from you? No, definitely one to catch. I mean, important if you're trying to educate yourself on film. You definitely got to see that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next one that we watched, and this one's this one's a classic for uh, for me and Stevie, which is uh, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. This is a Disney animated movie from even older, 1949, and even shorter. It's only an hour and eight minutes. It's a quick, quick movie, but nonetheless an amazing movie. Uh, it's directed by uh, James Algar, Clyde Geronimi, and Jack Kinney. With writing by, uh, it's a it's based on both The Wind in the Willows and Legends of Sleepy Hollow, which are written by Kenneth Graham and Washington Irving, respectively. But the uh, the Mister Toad piece has a bunch of of older actors like uh, Eric Blore, Basil Rathbone, John McLeish. And then the Ichabod story is almost entirely Bing Crosby, which is actually pretty cool. He plays all the characters. But this is, uh, I don't know what it is about this movie. It's, yeah. it's, we've watched it ever since we were a kid. We try to watch it every single year around, around this time. It's just a really good movie. It's not even that it's a movie about fall. It's just that it's, I don't know. We've well, got the Ichabod that part's definitely got some Halloween elements. Well, sure. That, and that one's so good because that's, that's probably one of the best American stories that are ever written. And that's the other cool thing. Both of, Isn't Wind in the Willows American or is that British? I think that one's British. Okay. Well, then uh, Ichabod is a really great American tale because you never find out what happens to him. And that's the, it's one of those stories where, that sort of thing, at least to me, I don't think ever really happened back then. Stories were very concise, and you kind of really knew where you stood with them. Like, I don't know, Frankenstein, uh, Moby Dick, and this one, the very end of the movie, the headless horseman, who at this point is just a legend, throws his pumpkin at Ichabod, and then it says no one really knew what happened to him after that. Either he fled town. Some people say that he's living with a really rich family, so he can eat all the time. Other people say that he died. And no one really knows. And there's like no one's ever asked about it. Like there's no sequels, there's no remakes. Uh, they did the Sleepy Hollow movie with uh, Johnny Depp, which is sure. actually really good. But even those movies, they I'm pretty sure they uh, it was actually really good. Really? They uh, they don't really show what happens to Ichabod at the end. But I love that movie. Yeah, one of the things I've picked up on I think just this time is that you know as a kid you always picture Brown Bones as sort of the villain, but he seems like a pretty normal nice guy i mean obviously he and ichabod have this rivalry to try and win the heart of katrina van tassel but i mean at the end of the day he's just he's just a dude i mean he's kind of a he's a bit of an oaf but he seems like a fun loving guy he's a prankster um at the end of the movie 
you know, he's telling the ghost story to scare Ichipod. We don't know for sure if he, maybe it's he who was pretending to be the Headless Horseman and threw the pumpkin, but it could have actually been a real thing. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. But I like I like that, you know, even though he's sort of framed as the antagonist, he's not really a bad guy. No, and it's it's kind of the same relationship as uh, Flash Thompson and Peter Parker and Spider-Man because well, you can kind of point to Flash sort of being a bad guy because he bullies Peter Parker, but it's in the same way that Brom Bones kind of bullies Ichabod. It's just because he's he's claiming his territory, essentially. He wants Katrina for himself, and that's really it. Like, he doesn't ever intend to hurt Ichabod. He, and throughout the movie, he's kind of just trying to embarrass him in front right. of in front of people because Ichabod's uh what is he? What does they call him? He's a... Uh, He's a spindly old man with, a, uh, <laughs> with shovels for feet. With shovels for feet. Yeah, who's that walking down the street? Are they shovels? Are they feet? Thin and lanky, skin and bones. I don't know what that part is. But uh, yeah. but no, and that honestly, too, that's probably the other reason we took such a shine to this movie is uh, it's a musical. And it's not just a musical. It's essentially just a, a Bing Crosby EP. Right. It's like six songs that Bing Crosby sings, and they're all so good, and they're so easy to remember. And uh, Mr. Toad's piece has no songs, if I'm That's not true. That. There's a couple songs. Is there? There's definitely the one where they're riding on the car. Oh, yeah, Merrily, 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 right. Merrily. That there's, might yeah, be so the only one. There's a couple, but that one's a little more focused on the story of Toad. And if you guys aren't familiar with Wind in the Willows, that's about – it's it's a story that they're all animals – but uh, Mr. Toad is a very rich toad that gets obsessed with new manias, such as uh, gypsy carts, motor cars, airplanes, as the thing progresses. And so what happens is, um, in his his wild eyes, he, he trades the deed to his, his manor, Toad Hall, for a motor car. But uh, when he, go, he goes to court, and uh, because the car was reported as stolen... And the people who basically tricked him into giving him the deed to his house now are lying to the authorities saying that he stole their his their car. So he gets thrown in prison and uh, his friends kind of have to help him out to get Toad Hall back. But again, they're, they're so short that it it's more of just the, the whole idea of like Ichabod and Mr. Toad being this, this sort of fall movie to watch. I, if I had to pick, I definitely would say I like Ichabod more than Mr. Toad, but... Mr. Toad is still really great. See, and I don't know. I I might prefer the Mr. Toad's version. Oh yeah, it's, it's almost like a heist movie. It and is that, sort of like a, that deed back. That's right. I love just the. I mean, the music in that one's really cool. Uh, there's some cool animation stuff that they do. It's just I don't know. Obviously, they're both great. It's a perfect double feature. Yeah, but I don't know which one I like more. Yeah, there's a really great scene towards the end when uh, Toad is escaping, and he's escaping as an old woman, and he's got his his ball and chain on him, sneaking out, and he's got he's just got this absolute wagon on him, and the a police officer is like, "Excuse me, madam," and he's like, "Oh, excuse me," and then like starts walking away, and the ball drops out of him, and then they chase after him, and then and towards the end, he gets he escapes and gets to his buddy's house, uh, Rat's house. And he's like, aren't you afraid of the police? And he says, me? Afraid of the police? And then the the door, there's a knock on the door, and he goes, oh, the police! And <laughs> that scene is so good, because yeah. it wasn't even the police to begin with. It was uh, it was uh, McBadger. 
But uh, yeah, so no, that's that's a great film if you're looking for a fun, quick uh, fall fest sort of thing. So now we're jumping into, this is the secret movie. I don't think, hopefully Stevie didn't see it on my phone while I was scrolling. But uh, guys, I got the 4K of Godzilla, King of Monsters <laughs> on... Uh, but that's already out on... Yep, yeah, uh, I, okay. I got it a couple weeks ago and I finally sat down and watched it. And um, I love that movie. And I love it despite now having seen it twice. I, I was frustrated and I... I Actually, I didn't do this podcast when I had my review. So a quick review of that movie. I am a huge, huge Godzilla fan. I love Godzilla. The old Toho Godzillas are my favorite. The first Godzilla is like a a near-perfect movie. And uh, I loved the new Godzilla, the 2014 one with Brian Cranston and Aaron Taylor John. Well, is Brian Cranston and Quicksilver and Scarlet and Witch, Juliet are, and Juliet Binoche is in it. It's and Ken Watanabe, and then mm-hmm. also uh, what's her face, the lady who won uh, Best Actor for uh, Shape of Water. Oh, uh, is it Sally Hawkins? Sally Hawkins, yes, she's in it as well. And so I really liked that movie, and I specifically liked it because it took so long for us to fully see Godzilla. And at the point when you do finally see him, it's so epic that you just, like... And I didn't even see that movie on IMAX, but I saw King of the Monsters on IMAX. And I was really looking forward to it because when I was growing up, my favorite Godzilla movie was Destroy All Monsters, which was the Godzilla movie that had all the monsters in it, and that's why I loved it. And so I wasn't necessarily disappointed in the movie when I saw it because I actually I got to see it in IMAX. And it was just that there was not enough monsters for me. And the problem with it was they kept cutting to uh, the humans and the things that the humans were doing, it's not even that they didn't make sense. It's just that I didn't care. Like, I, don't, I didn't come to this movie to find out the, the family drama going on with the, the main guy. You're talking about the newest one. The newest one, okay. correct. And, uh, and, and so before I even start you know, jumping on it, it's written and directed by Michael Doherty, who did the first one. And uh, also Zach Shields. And also Mac, Max Borenstein. Uh, did it as well. Uh, he And he did the last one too. But it stars Kyle Chandler, yeah. Via Farmiga, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, Ken Watanabe, uh, Ziyi Zhang, who's from, I believe that's, uh, was that Hit, Sounds... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Oh, maybe. Um, she's in, she's, oh, no, she wasn't, uh, uh, who's it, Deathstrike or Lady Deathstrike? And, oh, yeah, I guess I could just do that, huh? Yeah, she was in House of Flying Daggers. Oh, that's what it was. Memoirs of a Geisha. She was in that too. And she was in the Cloverfield Paradox. She's doing well. Uh, Bradley Whitford as well and Charles Dance. And then I'm sure Stevie would love to talk about Thomas Middleditch in this movie. Oh, yeah. And then O'Shea Jackson's in it. And so oh, that's right. just to give you guys a little bit of perspective. So I'm watching this movie in 4K. And I got to tell you, the 4K knocked out of the park. It was beautiful. And I got about... I don't know, 60% done with the movie. And it was getting a little bit late at night and I was starting to get tired. And I was like, I I don't know if I want to finish this movie because it was in that long stretch after Godzilla has uh, died, quote unquote died. Sure. And uh, it's all human stuff. And I was like, I just... I was like, maybe I can watch this another time. But so what I did instead, which is great, is I just clicked a couple buttons and seamlessly I was now listening to the commentary on the movie. So the commentary was by uh, by the director, O'Shea Jackson, and then one other person. I think it was the screenwriter. And that actually made me appreciate the movie a lot more because they 
seem to feel like they have gold on their hands the way that they were describing the movie uh and they clear like there was a there was one part where michael doherty mentioned that like oop we're cutting back to the humans we're kind of trying to not have them in so much and i was like nope that's not the case at all you're not doing that but uh there are some really good parts like he was describing when ken and i love probably one of the best ones in the movies when ken watanabe sacrifices himself and goes down under into Lumeria to uh, detonate the nuke to basically bring Godzilla back to life. And he was kind of going through how uh, the nuke the nuke within the Godzilla movies was always represented as destruction. And they wanted to show the nuke being used as like the life bringer sort of thing. So that was cool. Um, but yeah, no, the, the big fight scenes are truly just as big. And that's why I love that movie is just seeing Godzilla destroy Ghidorah and destroy, and then seeing Mothra tag team with Godzilla and save him and just the, the fights alone just so good but uh, I can tell you guys I don't think Stevie has the same opinion so I'm going to let him tell <clears throat> let him tell you uh, I'll start with the positives I think you know it's a fairly obvious allegory for climate change which I didn't mind um, I think obviously I'm a fan of some of the actors in there Ken Watanabe in particular um, they're not given a whole lot to play with. Uh, I do, I do also like the monsters. I am into that sort of Godzilla lore. I'm certainly not as experienced as you are. I've seen a number of them though. Um, moving on to the negatives. Uh, oh, I thought you were about to say moving on to the next movie. No. So my biggest issue, I, I, I share your, uh, complaint about too much of the family drama stuff. And part of the reason I didn't like it is because uh, I am predisposed against Millie Bobby Brown, I guess. I just, I, I'm not a big fan of Stranger Things. And that, of course, has nothing to do with this movie. But, you know, we were just talking about Night of the Hunter and how good those child actors were. I don't think she's a very good actress yet. Obviously, she's young. She's got time to get better. And, of course, this is just like a summer tentpole, so it's not like she's called upon to do a whole lot. But I, I don't know. I wasn't very impressed with her. Um... My maybe bigger issue, though, was the uh, cinematography in the sense that uh, a lot of those fight scenes were super cluttered, very dark, so you could barely see the monsters. Maybe that saves money on the CGI budget when you don't have to show it full light. But at the same time, all these shots are cluttered with so much debris and other stuff that it honestly gets hard to see, which I shouldn't have to complain about. It sounds so stupid. But especially when it's supposed to be this big spectacle... You know, I think when you look at movies like Kong, Skull Island or whatever, you got a good view of all these monsters, whereas here everything is just dark and broody, and I think that takes away from the experience for me. Um, here's a fun piece of trivia. I saw this in theaters, not with Alex, but with our younger brother and one of my cousins, and uh, it's probably midday showing, and I, I did fall asleep, and I, I am a little ashamed to admit it, but not that much because, like I said, I didn't love the movie. But apparently there's some great joke about the Three Stooges and me being a big stooge head. I wish I had heard that. Oh, but that's right. Yeah, Joey was sitting next to me. And when he heard the joke about the Three Stooges, he turned to me to make a crack about it. And I was like, <laughs> that So I missed, I missed out on the stooge reference. I, I felt like a real shemp for that one. And you know what's funny is I can actually fill in a lot of blanks for you. So I, I got some. And, and guys, honestly, if you're, huge, if you're a huge uh, a kaiju fan like I am and you already bought this movie, I'd actually highly recommend listening to the commentary track because they were very very open about everything they did in this movie so they actually uh gave us a lot of little tips and tricks so um the reason they 
because and and I actually share your complaint about that. I there's there's one specific scene, and I remember because before I did the podcast, I made voice memos on my phone right after I left a the theater as I was driving home, so I could you know say whatever I want. And I just remember specifically screaming, "Why do you have a fight between Ghidorah and Godzilla where they are charging at each other?" And this is the fight from the trailer where it's going like boom, 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 boom. And they're like running from each side of the screen and they collide. And literally a minute after they collide, a jumper ship comes up in the scene, in the shot, and covers them. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Why are you taking me away from this fight? And it couldn't have been the budget because it was a a big budget movie. But, yes, so those bothered me. But in the commentary, they were explaining, like, there's a lot of scenes where, if if you remember, like, Ghidorah's in clouds and Godzilla's around the clouds. They said they did that purposely for scale because they wanted people to understand that's how big those people were, which – Makes sense, but at the same time, I know how big they are. They're huge. That's where I want to see them. That's why I came yeah, to the theater. At the end of the day, we're going to Godzilla movie. We want to see them tear things up, right? We want them to see them raising cities to the ground. Yep. And it's hard to do that when um, I guess every fight is in the middle of the night in some sort of dust storm. Yeah, exactly. It makes it difficult to enjoy. And I really saw that in the uh, that first fight in Antarctica because I was like, wait a minute, this is a lot darker than I remember in the theater, <laughs> and that's probably due to the 4K. But so that's that's. Tip number one. Tip number two, and this I I feel like I noticed this movie came out after Avengers Endgame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out at the so, end of May. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I was paying attention at that point. I, I feel like I was, but th- Kyle Chandler's character, uh, Thomas Middleditch and Sarah Sally Hawkins are going to recruit him. And this scene uh, actually kind of makes me giggle because they're going to recruit him, and he's like in the woods with headphones on, listening to wolves like watching them and taking photos of them and it kind of reminded me of uh like well, a Tim- Thanos on the farm or no like a tim and eric sort of like the where he's like taking pictures like oh, oh yeah awesome <laughs> that's great that's a great one but uh his but that's funny because so he goes back into his cabin in the woods and it's the it's the tony stark cabin from avengers endgame in the future oh. when it's the exact same cabin and i I was, you know, I obviously couldn't confirm it, but then when I turned on the commentary, I was like, oh, I'll go back to that scene. Went back, and they mentioned it. They're like, yep, this is the... And they said because they filmed in Georgia as well, they were pointing out a lot of those scenes were filmed in Georgia. Even the Boston scene uh, was filmed in Georgia. But that that was a a cool little tip or a little tidbit that... A little bit of trivia for you guys out there, all you Marvel heads. Um, but yeah, so uh, final thoughts, like I said, I, I recognize that this movie, and I, I, I'll be proud to say it's not as good as the first Godzilla, but I love it just because I finally got to see a lot of those monsters on screen. And even though they, um, you know, they, there's not as much fighting as I wanted, they really go, and that was the other thing I was going to mention actually, was they, they go into detail about how each of them are kind of biblical monsters. Like he makes Mothra out to be sort of the Jesus type returning from the dead, uh, very, right. I don't remember what the word is, and then Ghidorah is obviously like Revelation was what they, or no, Revelations he said is is based off of Rodan, mm-hmm. of like jumping out of the fire and destroying absolutely everything. Ghidorah was something, like it was really cool, so I, I would recommend checking that one out. And then um, the final movie is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and this mm-hmm. is the 1978 version of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers which is directed by Philip Kaufman, who also wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you didn't know that. He also wrote The Right Stuff, and uh, written, but this one is written by W.D. Richter and based on the novel by Jack Finney. But it stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright, 
and Leonard Nimoy. Um, so, Stevie, I know this is one of your faves, so of I'm going to let you uh, let you talk about this Don't one. Don't forget the uh, Robert Duvall cameo. That's right. Oh, that's right. One short scene. Yeah, for you uh, uh, keen-eyed watchers out there. Yeah, keep a close eye out for that. I Yeah, this is another one of my favorite horror movies. It's more, I guess it's more sci-fi than horror, but, uh, man, I first saw this just a couple of years ago. That was my first time, and I was just blown away with... Uh, Mostly, the cinematography and the score were the first things to surprise me because they're so unique. I mean, there's a lot of really cool close-up shots, obviously, of the sort of plant life as the aliens are coming. Should I give a like an overview? Of do them? it, yeah. Okay. That's what I do. I just tell the story of the movie. Sure. So the it's an alien invasion movie. Uh, our, our main stars, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams, are, I believe, health inspectors. And they start noticing... There's like these little flowers that have been popping up around the city. I think this is in San Francisco. And uh, they're trying to inspect the flowers. At the same time, Brooke Adams' husband starts acting strange, um, sort of like, almost like a robot. You know, he's sort of unresponsive to her in the ways that he would have been before. And she's kind of getting paranoid about that. Hasn't made the connection, obviously. And Donald Sutherland wants to take her to this psychiatrist, Leonard Nimoy, who's dealing with people who are also having the same experience with spouses going strange. Um, long story short, you they have... got snatched. Well, yeah. So this, the, these alien creatures sort of replicate the human bodies. And I don't, I don't know. It's sort of strange how they... I don't understand the transfer process because they're like creating a second body and obviously not entirely taking the consciousness of the person, but taking some essence of them and then the bodies are sort of the old bodies are sort of thrown away and you got to watch because it's really funny the garbage trucks just keep running because they're taking all these husks garbage day yeah it's like every day is garbage day at this point um but yeah so donald sutherland brooke adams and then jeff goldblum and veronica cartwright they are resistant to what's going on so they're trying to evade all these newfound aliens who are in human form just trying to chase them down and apparently their goal is utopia as most aliens would put it uh, it's a really cool movie though and it it's just a fun suspenseful film like i said the cinematography is really really unique um, the score is great a lot of the sound effects people screeching is really cool uh, for some reason one of my favorite scenes in here is brooke adams doing this weird trick with her eyes oh that's yeah super bizarre <laughs> But when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is instantly one of my favorite movies of all time. Just because it's so, it's so out there and there's no need to be in a movie. But that's why I think this movie is so cool because, you know, it's sort of unpredictable. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's really unique. I know it's based on the older version, which I think was from the 50s. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as impressed with that one. I know a lot of people would say that that's the superior version. But I don't – I can't imagine – I can't imagine someone watching the two side by side and saying that this one's inferior. That's just no, crazy to no. know. I uh, and I I had not watched these prior. I, I when we watched it recently, that was my second time seeing it. But when I had first seen it was uh, last year. Stevie had recommended. He was like, "Hey, I, I just got this movie. It's my one of my favorite movies." And I was like, "You say that about every movie." No, I do not. <laughs> and and uh, he uh, so I actually back to back watched the 1950 version and then the 1970 version. So in my opinion, the 70 version is better. 
Uh, and it's because in my at my eyes, I think it explores the, it just seems bigger in scope because the, the first one, the main character is, it's the same thing. Everyone kind of thinks he's going crazy, but the end of the movie, if I'm remembering, is like the the indication that it's more widespread than we thought. Sure. It's like the very well, end, you're one, like... It takes place in a small town. It takes place, exactly. And this one, you get to see like hundreds of people have been snatched just in this town, like the if there's like a news bit i think as well maybe or maybe i'm mixing yeah, my well, movies there's, there's some new stuff there's obviously you have all these people are shipping out thousands upon thousands of the pods that are containing right. these other bodies for growth oh man i just forgot about the uh like the uh that one cgi type scene with the the dog fused with the hobo oh god that's a really creepy image but just incredible to see that, like, it, again, unexpected. It felt like a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, and, yeah. And when I was watching it the second time, too, I realized, you know what? Jeff Goldblum's kind of twisted. He <laughs> he did this movie and he did The Fly. Right. And in both of these movies, he goes pretty all out. I mean, he, him and his wife work at a, like, mud bath sanctuary that people can come get their mud baths at. And what I'm thinking to answer your question is I, I think what happens is the flower – Re- like it replicates in a pod form it, it, it like produces the body the exact same body but then those like wispy tendrils like touch on to you and i think that's what takes the essence from them right because if you remember i think goldblum's guy got touched by them and then he started getting sleepy right there's a lot of different things that happen like it seems like when the person's eyes start closing maybe you know it's when they're asleep that the consciousness kind of transfers it's obviously not a complete transfer because it changes who they are but they say it takes all your memories and everything with you, but then you're just completely devoid of emotion. The other thing that is kind of cool and gross is that as this process is happening, the people start drying out. So their skin starts getting flaky. Oh, yeah, right. And they just start getting really fatigued. Because, yeah, they're just kind of somehow sapping the consciousness from those bodies. And then at the end, like I said, it kind of crumples up and they just dispose the husk. And if you haven't seen this movie, I, I would say that the ending is a pretty big twist. Because I think they they and this movie's from 1970, so we're going to spoil that twist oh, for you. Crap. But um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, the main character Donald Sutherland he goes through all this trouble to not get got, and uh, then it kind of blacks out, and then it's like the next day back at work, and he's walking around all stiff like. And at least for me, I'm like, okay, he's basically pretending to be this to just get through the day. Right. Because so we that, have a scene earlier in the movie where they realize they can pretty much fool the aliens if they just don't show any emotion, just kind of yep. walk around stoic. And so he does that, and you're like, okay, cool. And then the very last scene of the movie is the one person out of the... It's like a group of four that initially goes, and it's the one person who still hasn't been snatched, and she runs up to him. And if you guys have... You guys have probably seen the meme or whatever of that Donald Sutherland screaming at her and pointing his finger uh, because he got snatched. And so it, it's a shocking scene. You're like, oh, that's... Oh, my God, it happened. It's it's real. But, yeah, no, it's a... it's The movie gives off, a, to me at least, it, it's got a, a sort of, like I said... Um, who is that that I said it reminded me of? Oh, yeah, uh, Cronenberg. But it also reminds me a little bit of Dario Argento with, like, the Suspiria and Phantasma vibe, which I bit. think... I think she was in Phantasma, if I'm correct. Or maybe it was the... I think it was the other chick who was in... She wasn't in Phantasma. She was in the... Oh, no, she was in Days of Heaven, um, Brooke Adams. Yeah, same here. But... Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Why, uh, 
Oh, yeah. Wow. Big big year for her. That was 1978. But uh, it also, and, and to piggyback off your soundtrack, uh, the soundtrack is, is it sounds a lot like Annihilation uh, in, yeah, in bits. Good. It's got a lot of that Annihilation, like, won't, 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 won't sort of thing. Like, it's, it's a really good soundtrack, and it's a really good spooky movie. Yeah. All the practical effects are really, really cool, too. Just oh, yeah. Seeing, you know, all the different plant life growing. You have these, like, creatures and different bodies and stuff it's just it's kind of impressive there's a really stressful scene when he goes out in the backyard when sutherland goes out in the backyard and is sitting in that chair uh-huh. and all of the pods are next to him and the bodies are just shooting out of the pods and right. he freaking falls asleep and the tendrils are like going up to him and it takes forever for him to wake up like they keep <laughs> they keep cutting back to like other things happening and then back to him still sleeping it's like dude get up yeah and uh, so no, that was a, that was a fantastic movie. So, um, what, and what would you rate that one? That one's a ten for me easily. Nice, nice. And I gave that one a nine. Um, and now, guys, I I said that was our last movie, but hang on a second. What's what's? <laughs> Is that the Joker? What's the Joker doing in here, guys? Stevie and I are going to see the Joker tomorrow. Wait, nope, not tomorrow. Saturday. <laughs> Saturday. Saturday. Uh, and so I'm thinking if he's uh, if he's willing, we can uh, pop up the recorder and uh, talk about our thoughts on the Joker. But I wanted to kind of get your initial thoughts after seeing the trailer, what you're hoping for, expecting, sure. excited about. Uh, I am excited about it. Um, as you know, if we ever end up doing this superhero movie discussion, for me the biggest thing when I go to these movies is I want something fresh and too often I don't get it. I can tell this one is taking a different approach. It's not fresh in the truest sense because it's obviously heavily inspired by Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, but it's it's fresh in the sense that we haven't seen a movie like this in a long time and we haven't seen one in the superhero genre. I don't even th- I wouldn't even consider Dark Knight to be you know, in the same headspace that this is, because that didn't really explore the Joker. You know, they they left his background as sort of unknown, so he could be this absolute evil. But here we're kind of tasked with, you know, judging who he is and whether all of his actions are evil. And I, you know, of course, the internet is ablaze with people freaking out about it, which is people hilarious. who have, haven't seen the movie, right? Hilarious to me, but. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited because obviously Joaquin's going to turn in a great performance, and I just want to see what the fuss is about. Mm-hmm. And and can you uh, listeners out there just do me a favor? Can you when you when you listen to this podcast next? Can you call me Joker? Yeah. Uh, no, and I'm actually I'm super excited for it too. Joaquin Phoenix. I don't think he's ever had a bad performance. Um, I don't know. I, not that I can think not of. That I can I, remember the for big sure. ones I know of his were like, "You were never really there here." Right, and that's another one that has some parallels to this movie too. Yep, and I, I think he's going to really draw into that. But I heard he, I mean, they, they all the all the same discussions have come out with this with Dark Knight, like, "Oh, Joaquin went through so much." They just, uh, what was his name? Uh, one of the talk show hosts posted like a video of him getting mad on set or Is something. Yeah, that apparently was either doctored or fake, but right. it just there's there's so yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Just show us the movie. It's like I, right, exactly. It's like just show us the movie and figure it out. But yeah, so we will uh, hopefully we can chat about that one. Uh, regardless, I will have a review up on that one. I'll let you guys know to see it. But spoiler alert: you're probably going to want to see it because I have a feeling that regardless of what happens, this is probably going to get him an Oscar nomination. 
Uh, I don't necessarily know if he's going to win, but my my big beef, and I don't certainly don't want to end on this, but my big beef is that he this Joker movie is really going to ruin Avengers Endgame chances at the the Oscars, and so (laughs) you know I don't want Stevie to laugh too much, but I guess we're getting near the end here. Yeah, we are. We're gonna we might as well wrap this up before the Hail Marys. (laughs) Yep, yep. So, uh, yep. So, guys, thank you so much for listening, and to my guest Stevie, thank you as well. Uh, Any parting words? Anything you want to promote? I know you got a really popular Twitter page. I don't. Uh, I, uh, you know, I used to make a podcast a while ago. Don't worry about that. Uh, if you like this podcast, keep listening. Uh, if you think I was a worthy, uh, a worthy guest, I guess give Alex your comments or something. Uh, if you're somebody listening to this, that's pretty cool. So that's all I have to say. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I mean, it's not worth. <laughs> We're in we're in the thousands at this point. Of oh wow! Listeners. Like okay. hundreds of thousands. I was describing yesterday that I've just been getting inundated with letters. Sounds like you, we both need a manager. Yeah, yeah I, I I need I need to get paid. Right. But uh, no. So guys, thank you so much for listening uh, for comics and cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein with special guest Stephen Klein. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>